Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Will Congresswoman Maxine Waters be punished by House leadership for inciting violence in Minneapolis? Congresswoman Lauren Boebert says yes, and she joins us tonight. Also, verdict, guilty. But will Maxine Waters' comments cause an appeal? Our legal panel will debate. And... The death of Brian Sicknick was used to impeach President Donald Trump. But wait until you hear what our own John Solomon has to say about that. All of that and more coming up on Dr. Gina Primetime. We, the jury, in the above entitled matter as to count one, unintentional second-degree murder while committing a felony, find the defendant guilty. Same caption, verdict count two. We, the jury, in the above entitled matter as to count two, third degree murder, perpetrating an eminently dangerous act, find the defendant guilty. Same caption, verdict count three. We, the jury, in the above entitled matter as to count three, second degree manslaughter, culpable negligence, creating an unreasonable risk, find the defendant guilty. Derek Chauvin has been found guilty on all counts in the murder trial of George Floyd. We've seen all of the infamous video of Officer Chauvin with his knee on the neck of George Floyd during an arrest. And the worst news is that this guilty verdict really does begin a new chapter of mob rule in America, at least to some. I hope I'm wrong, but now the police are always going to be on the defensive. Law enforcement officers will seek to avoid confrontations with criminals. This is something that has been in the works for a while, but this can really be considered the first high-profile case where a police officer was convicted of killing someone during the course of an arrest. Chauvin's defense attorney laid out how everything was done by the book during that arrest, according to the directive charts, as police were instructed in that state. And now, even doing your duty by the directives on the books in your state, per your training, can get you sent away for life if things go wrong. So why would good people become police officers now if due process and the rule of law do not apply to them? Why would someone risk having a member of Congress threaten a jury in an entire city into delivering a guilty verdict? Maxine Waters did just that. Listen. But I know that the right wing, the racist, are opposed to it, and I don't know what's going to happen to it. But I know this, we've got to stay in the street, and we've got to, we've got to demand justice. We're looking for a guilty verdict. We're looking for a guilty verdict, and we're looking to see if all of the fault that took place and has been taking place after they saw what happened to George Floyd, if nothing does not happen, then we know uh, that we've got to not only stay in the street, but we've got to fight for justice. Uh, and we've got to get more active. We've got to get more confrontational. We've got to make sure that they, they know that we need this. 
Well, the jury complied with Maxine Waters' orders, and the only thing that may not go her way is that Derek Chauvin may be set free on appeal. Here is what the judge said after hearing the incendiary comments from Maxine Waters. And now that we have U.S. representatives uh, threatening acts of, of, uh, of violence in relation to the specific case, it's, it's mind-boggling to me, Judge. Well, I'll give you that Congresswoman and Waters may have given you something on appeal that may result in this whole trial being overturned. It'll be interesting to see what happens next. We just hope that peace can be maintained in the streets of the city of Minneapolis because it sure seems like what Maxine Waters wanted to accomplish was the exact opposite of that. We have more on all of this with our legal experts a little later on the show, but coming up next, Congresswoman Maxine Waters traveled to Minneapolis to, it seems, to incite violence and to influence the jury in the Chauvin trial. Congresswoman Lauren Boebert is ticked and she's going to do something about it. She is up next and John Solomon will join us to see what fake news story was used to impeach President Trump that ended up being absolutely fake news that nobody is telling you about. All of that and more coming up next. Stick around. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Welcome back to Dr. Gina Primetime. Congresswoman Maxine Waters, as you know, put herself right in the middle of the Chauvin trial. She threatened that if a guilty verdict didn't come down, that the protesters should get more confrontational. Those were her words. The defense attorney asked for a mistrial, and the judge in the case had a lot to say about it. Listen. I wish elected officials would stop talking about this case, especially in a manner that is disrespectful to the rule of law and to the judicial branch in our function. I think if they want to give their opinions, they should do so in a respectful and in a manner that is consistent with their oath to the Constitution to respect a co-equal branch of government. Their failure to do so, I think, is abhorrent. A congresswoman's opinion really doesn't matter a whole lot. Now, many in our audience do care about the opinion of certain members of Congress, especially rabble-rousers out there like Congresswoman Lauren Boebert. And she has made her mark there, and she joins us right now. Congresswoman, great to see you. Great to be with you today, Gina. Uh, you know, I'm standing outside the People's House where uh, earlier today we uh, attempted to uh, censure a member of Congress because what she says does matter. And I'm talking about Maxine Waters and her negligence and her rhetoric that she has been spewing. Yes, you just announced that you are fi filing an official ethics complaint against Maxine Waters. And what is very interesting about this is this will compel her to actually formally answer this. Tell us how this works. 
Uh, yeah, Gina, uh, today I filed a formal ethics complaint against Mad Max, Maxine Waters, for her incitement violent riots over the weekend when asked by a protester what they should do if Derek Chauvin is found to be innocent. Waters didn't even try to calm the situation. From her position of influence, she instead threatened court by stating that rioters should stay in the streets and get more confrontational if a guilty verdict is not delivered. So this formal ethics complaint forces her to uh, to speak to those words that, that she said. Um, she has to go before the committee and give an account for the words that she spoke. She um, has encouraged rioters to break the law. She has threatened the court. She has conducted herself in a way not fitting of a congressman, and she should be held accountable. What's really horrible about this is not only did she leave her district, leave her state uh, to incite violence and further fuel of the uh, uh, unrest that we're seeing in Minnesota, but afterwards, the Speaker of the House, the Speaker of the United States House of Representatives, Nancy Pelosi, said that Maxine Waters had nothing to apologize for. So I am doing everything that I can to make sure she is held accountable and has to give an account for the statements that she made. The New York Post said that she was trying to incite a race war. Um, and as you mentioned, um, Nancy Pelosi said she shouldn't apologize, that she shouldn't be impeached. Yet we know that Maxine Waters didn't say anything like marching peacefully. She called on people to get more confrontational. Uh, sounds like textbook incitement to me as contrasted by what Donald Trump said and was ultimately brought to an impeachment trial for when he mentioned marching peacefully to the Capitol. Uh, this seems like a very big double standard to a lot of people. Uh, I think more than 80 people who now have been, uh, you know, brought to, uh, you know, charged with something from that January 6th incident. Do you think that 80 people will be charged from these riots? You know, I, right now, I want to see Representative Maxine Waters held accountable. Uh, what she did was uh, was absolutely inexcusable. And this is not the first time that she has incited uh, a violence. Um, she has encouraged people um, to cause a scene in the past. And it's time that the Democrats um, actually have to um, be, be held accountable for the words that they say because their rhetoric is, uh, is, is very damning and it is causing uh, senseless riots all throughout our nation. These are the same people who call to defund our law enforcement officers who want to strip them of their qualified immunity so they aren't even capable of performing their jobs. All while we have rioting and looting going on in the streets, we have the burning down of small businesses, and this is all encouraged by Democrats, by elected officials, and uh, they're fundraising on it, off of it, and we even have the Vice President of the United States who have bailed these thugs out of jail to get them back on the streets sooner. So uh, right now, what, what I would love to see is Maxine Waters expelled from Congress, but uh, I'm using all the authority that I have, and so I filed that formal ethics complaint so uh, we can actually see some justice here in the House of Representatives. Well, we all definitely pray for peace. We pray that there will be peace in the streets. We pray for the peace of all the families involved and really just uh, that America can somehow 
find the best in all of us and come back together. And uh, thank you so much, Congresswoman Boebert, for all you're doing to that end. We certainly appreciate you having the courage to step up because we know that courage is contagious and your courage has certainly been contagious ever since you stepped foot on those Capitol steps. Thank you so much and thanks for being with us tonight. Thanks so much, Gina. All right, and now we have a fake news alert. All right, you'll all remember Officer Brian Sicknick died shortly after the January 6th Capitol breach, and the mainstream media reported the absolutely fake news that he was killed by Trump supporters when he was struck over the head by a fire extinguisher. Then, when news came to light that the fire extinguisher story was not true, well, the news media changed their fake news story to say that Sicknick must have died from an allergic reaction to bear spray or pepper spray that was in the air during the clash with Trump supporters. But it turns out, actually, that neither of those fake news stories were true. Just the News is reporting that the medical examiner's report shows that Officer Brian Sicknick suffered two strokes and ultimately died of natural causes. How did this story get so out of control and lead to so much fake news reporting? Here with me now, the founder of Just the News, John Solomon. John, great to see you. John, they knew over two, thanks John, you, you know John, they knew over two months ago that this was the medical examiner's conclusion. Uh, why didn't we know sooner and why isn't this more, more of a predominant story, especially in the traditional news, you know, the alphabet soup news and the leading <laughs> traditional newspapers? Yeah, well it's a messy soup, that alphabet soup these days. It, uh, you know, the media keeps getting really big stories wrong. We're not talking about, you know, back page corrections that, you know, you get a misspelling or name, but the core facts of essential stories, stories that have driven the public narrative for weeks and months, are, are they getting wrong time and again. Last week we had the New York Times flat out wrong, the U, uh, Biden intelligence team saying the story that Russian, that the U.S. had good intelligence, that Russia had placed uh, bounties on the heads of American soldiers in Afghanistan, low confidence that that occurred. The media really didn't correct itself, it just covered it quickly, moved on. The New York Times, again, in this story, if you, I remember the story reading it, they even suggested that Brian Sitnik, this brave officer, had a gash in his head from being hit over the uh, head with a fire extinguisher, was taken to the hospital unconscious. He had a stroke hours after the episode occurred. Again, a tragic death, a great law enforcement officer, but to get those sort of facts wrong. And then when it became obvious, because Brian Sitnik's family, starting in early March, started to say, the narrative is wrong. He wasn't hit over the head. He wasn't killed at the scene there. They, they, they pivoted to this idea that maybe pepper spray, bear spray uh, had impacted him. And we find out last night in the interview that the medical examiner did with the Washington Post, there was no toxicology evidence whatsoever that he, uh, that he suffered a toxic reaction or that it contributed to his death. He died tragically from two strokes in the back of his brain. Uh, none of the original reporting, none of it was accurate. This fake news about the death of Brian Sicknick was used to impeach President Trump. Um, is this the kind of thing that happens when we are so used to accepting news from anonymous sources? And is there a way, John, to hold these outlets accountable and 
and absolutely refuse to accept news from anonymous sources because it seems like throughout, especially the presidency of Donald Trump, but really even before that, we've become very lax in what we accept as news that usually comes from anonymous sources. And this kind of fake news, when you're considering the impeachment of a president, has big consequences. It does. And I, I think anonymity and anonymous news sources, which got their fame and got their moment you know, during Watergate, where legitimate sources gave Bob Woodburn and Carl Bernstein accurate information. But remember, they didn't just rely on their, their uh, anonymous sources. They did a lot of groundwork. Today, reporters are glad to take whatever sources give them. They don't do the extra work. And I think there's an added element. There is too much emotion and there is too much political opinion rattling around America's newsrooms today. When I got into the job, you weren't allowed to express a, a political opinion in the newsroom. If you did, you'd get kicked out. You'd be fired. Uh, we wouldn't allow emotion. We would watch the O.J. Simpson trial with dispassion because it was our job to cover the verdict with neutrality and without the passion, to write the story, just the facts. Today, there's too much emotion, too much political opinion, and it makes people predisposed to believe things that they haven't maybe done the yard work, the spade work, to really say is true. I think that's what ails America more than anything, this complete emotional, politically charged uh, sentiments that we've allowed to seep into our newsrooms. It's bad for America. It's bad for the news industry. Which is frankly the reason why Just the News has so much credibility with so many people across political lines is because you really just don't accept the emotion and the anonymous sources and all the rest of it. One of the things that I think America would love to know is when the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, John, knew the results of this medical report. Do we have any idea on that? We, uh, we don't. Uh, we, we Listen, a lot of people knew that day. I mean, one of the other things that bothers me about journalism today is there's no curiosity. If an officer is struck in the head and rendered unconscious, we would have seen an ambulance leave the scene. There should have been footage of the officer prone on the ground getting medical attention. That never surfaced despite all the cameras that were available in there. When Ashley Babbitt got shot, we had video footage almost immediately. We knew it had happened. The, the, the lack of evidence early on should have made all of us curious, but journalists today aren't too curious. They take the first line, they move on, they don't go back and check things. Uh, there were a lot of reasons to doubt this story from the beginning, like just really simple stuff like, where was the ambulance? Where's the video footage? I didn't have any other officers on the Capitol floor saying, Brian Sitnik was wounded next to me. And all those things added up to us having a lot of caution and concern about this. I think that's one of the things we need to be more careful about, not getting caught up in the a, a moment of emotion, looking for the facts, the pointers, the signs. It's not hard to do journalism if you're determined to get to the bottom of the truth. If you're glad to take the surface story and move on, you're going to get burned a lot. And the New York Times has burned us all a lot in the last two or three years. All right, John. John Solomon, thank you so much. We appreciate you being on tonight. Thanks, Dr. Gina. See you later. Coming up, Derek Chauvin has been found guilty in the murder of George Floyd, but could Maxine Waters have single-handedly gained Derek Chauvin his freedom in an appeal? Our legal, legal experts are up next right here on Dr. Gina Primetime. Stick around. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We, the jury, in the above-entitled matter as to count one, unintentional second-degree murder while committing a felony, find the defendant guilty. Same caption, verdict count two. We, the jury, in the above-entitled matter as to count two, third-degree murder perpetrating an eminently dangerous act, find the defendant guilty. Same caption, verdict count three. We, the jury, in the above-entitled matter as to count three, second-degree manslaughter, culpable negligence, creating an unreasonable risk, find the defendant guilty. Derek Chauvin was found guilty on all three charges in the murder trial of George Floyd. But even before the verdict was read, the judge hinted that Chauvin would have a great case for appeal thanks to Congresswoman Maxine Waters and her calls for protesters to become more confrontational if a guilty verdict weren't returned. Here is what Maxine Waters said at the protests this week. But I know that the right wing, the racist, are opposed to it. And I don't know what's going to happen to it, but I know this, we've got to stay in the street and we've got to, we've got to demand justice. We're looking for a guilty verdict. We're looking for a guilty verdict and we're looking to see if all of the fault that took place and has been taking place after they saw what happened to George Floyd, if nothing does not happen, then we know uh, that we've got to not only stay in the street, but we've got to fight for justice. Uh, and we've got to get more active. We've got to get more confrontational. We've got to make sure that they, they know that we need business. And here's what the judge had to say about that. Information relevant to this case, it is impossible to stay away from it unless you literally shut off your phone you shut off your TV, you shut off your computer, and no such instructions have been given during the course of this trial. Well, to be fair, the last few times I've advised them, I told them, don't watch the news. Um, and now that we have U.S. representatives uh, threatening acts of, of, uh, of violence in relation to the specific case, uh, it's, it's mind-boggling to me, Judge. Well, I'll give you that Congresswoman Waters may have given you something on appeal that may result in this whole trial being overturned. Here with me now to discuss legal expert Kelly Hyman. Uh, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. It's nice to see you. Nice to see you, Kelly. Kelly, do you, what are your first thoughts on the decision? I think the jury listened to the evidence and based on the evidence uh, presented that they came back and had a guilty verdict. I believe in democracy. I believe in our justice system. And I believe that justice uh, prevailed. And my thoughts and prayers go out to the Floyd family who lost a loved one um, because you can't ultimately bring someone back. And Kelly, do you believe um, in light of that decision that there will be riots in the street anyway? I hope not. I'm a strong advocate for peaceful protest, uh, but I believe that justice has been served. And so I'm optimistic based on, um, you know, what I've heard that nothing will happen like that. And um, Chauvin was found guilty, as you know, on three counts, second degree, unintentional murder, third degree murder, second degree manslaughter. Um, this could result in decades 
uh, in prison. Can you tell us what that means for lay people who are not attorneys, just on its face as far as what we know so far? Right. Uh, from my understanding, it, we're looking at, as you said, decades in prison, but I do believe that um, there will be some kind of appeal process um, based on certain kind of uh, situations that happened during the trial, whether it's, you know, were the defendants asked that the jurors initially be sequestered, also asked for a mistrial as well, um, but he could potentially um, have 40 years um, in jail. And in light of the comments by Maxine Waters, um, some say that um, she could be the reason that this verdict could ultimately be overturned. In fact, I think that that's sort of a summation of what the judge indicated. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, the judge has stated that he asked the people not to listen to the news, basically giving them an instruction, do not listen to the news, do not you know, watch the news. And then when the judge sequestered them, my understanding is that they did not have phones and they did not have access to the news so that they didn't know that this was actually going on. But ultimately, if this case is appealed, um, which I think that it will be, ultimately appeals court will look at that type of evidence and make a determination on whether or not um, the mistrial, there should have been a mistrial in the case. So my understanding, I think maybe there's some debate as to whether or not the jury was ultimately sequestered, at least in the traditional sense. Um, can you go through what, what the term sequestered means officially? I, I think it's tough these days because media comes at us in so many different ways. But the traditional definition, I guess, of sequester, and um, because if you weren't completely cloistered, I, I mean, you know, kept from basically all means of news, you were hearing about this trial, weren't you? Well, and the trial itself, you know, that's potentially, but the judge basically gave them instruction, the fact that they shouldn't listen to the news. Now, the sequester idea, the initial idea is that you're not going home, that you're staying in a hotel, that you're totally isolated 24-7. So you go to the courtroom, um, you take your lunch breaks, you go back to the courtroom, and then you go into your hotel. Um, each day. Now, when the jury started deliberating, that's when the judge sequestered, basically said the people need to stay out at a hotel until they make a determination of whether the defendant was guilty or innocent. And so at that point, um, if before that they had some information and then at that point um, they stopped paying attention to it, which we can't, I guess, particularly know, there are no checks or anything to see if they did or did not, for example, watch their televisions in their hotel rooms. And, and and does this mean they did or did not have their phones, if you know? My understanding is once they were sequestered, they did not have their phones. I don't know if their hotel rooms had TVs or not. You know, maybe there was no TVs in the um, hotel rooms. I don't know. Um, but the judge, you know, you follow what the judge says. The judge says, um, you know, do not listen to the media. Do not, you know, do this. Um, so it's kind of like a checks and balance. But if someone ultimately did look at it and use that information, then that could definitely be an issue um, if there is appeal. All right, and Kelly, um, there, there's an accusation of witness intimidation here. There was a severed pig's head left outside the former home of a Chauvin defense witness who said that George Floyd's death was accidental. Um, this is scary no matter which side of this you fall on. It's 
an American to intimidate a witness. Our judicial system doesn't really work if witnesses aren't protected. Um, what role could this play, if any, in an appeal? Absolutely, that could play a, a role in the appeal um, that someone was you know, concerned about that. But also, you know, there's also um, whoever allegedly did that, then they can have ramifications themselves for jury tampering, if that's the case, and brought charges against them as well. Um, and then the, that could potentially happen as well. But I think if that's an issue, then the appeals court would look at that and make a determination based on that if that was a, a factor to sway someone, a juror, to make a determination of guilty or innocent. Okay, and also, can you tell us a little bit about what kind of timeline we're looking at in terms of an appeal? Um, you know, I, I, absolutely. Um, so basically, um, you know, the, the defendant um, will discuss this matter with his attorney, and so they have an opportunity to, to file appeal, appeal, you know, right, right away, and they might do that. And then also the judge um, has the sentencing guidelines as well and might do the sentencing. But we also, you know, probably like in a month or so, I would have to say that I'm assuming that there's definitely going to be a appeal, especially since the defendant asked for a mistrial in the case. And initially, the, uh, the defendants asked that this um, case be transferred and the judge denied that. Also, the defendants asked that the, the initially all the jurors be sequestered. So I could see in the next 30 days that there's definitely going to be appeal in this matter. And are jurors allowed to consider effects on the community? Um, for example, potential riots, like if a juror thinks that a riot will destroy their city, um, are they allowed to consider that or not? They want to base it on the evidence presented. The prosecution has the burden of the case, and so they must prove the elements of each crime. And based on the evidence that they see, they just may look at that. They may not look at outside factors or any other thing like that. That's that's why the judge gives instructions, um, curing instructions, as they say, to you know inform the jurors that based on the evidence that they must follow the law, which I believe that the jurors did in this case. And do you think that um, police um, procedure uh, and protocol will be reframed based upon what happened in this trial because to my knowledge this is the first example of a, a police officer actually being convicted in one of these cases there have been civil suits that have been won against uh, against basically as we as you and I discussed on this show the other day against uh, taxpayers against cities uh, for wrongdoing uh, in some of these cases where it is believed that police used excessive force that resulted in the death of, of people. But um, this is the first case where I believe a police officer has actually, in, in a criminal case, been convicted, to my knowledge. Um, do you believe this will result in changes in protocol um, in, in policing? I do believe that it will. I'm hopeful and optimistic that there'll be some type of police reform. And I think that definitely that that's something that's important to discuss. Absolutely. And, and in your opinion, do you have any predictions in terms of what that might amount to, what policing will look like going forward so that we don't see cases like this again? I hope we don't see cases like this again. Um, I think it's gonna be, training is gonna definitely be key. I think that's a strong issue 
of, of training the police officers. Um, and so there'll be certain protocols and procedure in place, but definitely I think training is key and that's the first step. And do you think that pr things like um, being able to apply pressure on the neck will perhaps be limited to a certain time period? Because we all know about the infamous nine minutes in this particular case, which a lot said, a lot of people said, yes, you can put pressure on the neck, but it was the excessiveness, it was the reasonability that came into question as, as far as an. A, total layman's terms here. Sorry about that. Not an attorney, uh, but, but that seems to be like what came into play here. Do you think it will be about, the, about time limits and accessibility and re excessiveness and reasonability uh, that will be put into play in future protocol for police procedure here? No, absolutely. I, I think so. And the training on that and what kind of situation that they're in, you know, whether there's immediate, you know, injury or harm or something like that, or if someone's handcuffed and, you know, can't move. Absolutely. But there definitely needs to be some kind of change and reform. Very informative. Kelly Hyman, thank you so much for being with us tonight. Nice to see you. Be safe. Stay healthy. God bless. You too. Coming up. We have some news you won't hear anywhere else that the mainstream media is not reporting. That's right, right here on Dr. Gina Primetime. Stay where you are. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome back to Dr. Tina Primetime. Now, as we do every night at this time, let's give you some news you didn't know. And here to help, as always, coming to us from the RAV headquarters in Denver, Colorado, Jessica Rivera. Jessica, great to see you. What do you have for us tonight? Likewise, Dr. Gina. Well, singer Demi Lovato is in hot water after wielding her cancel culture wand in order to shame a small California frozen yogurt shop, all for offering sugar-free and diet foods on their menu, or as Lovato sees it, for triggering her and making her feel unsafe. The 28-year-old singer says it was extremely hard to order at the Big Chill frozen yogurt shop in Los Angeles with their diet options. The shop responded to Lovato's social media rant explaining they offer the items for vegan, celiac, and diabetic customers. And to that, Lovato then said the business should do better to find a way to provide an inviting environment for all people with different needs, including eating disorders. Since the rant, Lovato has apologized for her comments and she says they were misunderstood and that she just wanted to make sure the shop was aware of triggering words. And actress Jamila Jamil has come to Lovato's defense saying Lovato was just pointing out problematic terms like cheat, guilty, naughty, bad, and unhealthy. And that if an eating disorder advocate like Lovato finds a problem, then maybe the company should change its marketing to better be geared towards people with medical uh, needs and issues. But Dr. Gina, that's exactly what this yogurt shop does. Yet, ignorant people like Lovato and Jamil still jump on their soap boxes. And they claim to be saviors for certain groups of people when in reality, they're what you call 
They're just drama queens. They like to start things. So my advice for anyone in the Los Angeles area is to make your voice heard by patronizing the Big Chill. I do have some hard to find foods nowadays like desserts that are gluten-free anymore. And when I was pregnant, I had diabetes and I am lactose intolerant, so I'm a whole lot of messed up. So I guess I am now a medical foods advocate. But in all seriousness, Sabrina, I'm always so thankful and grateful when companies make accommodations for my needs, but that's what they are. They're accommodations, not to be confused with expectations. You know, that's the thing, Jessica, is that everybody has got a thing, as we say in my family. Everybody's got a thing. And I just don't think we can accommodate everybody's thing. And so I think if you're going to get triggered or get sensitive uh, because somebody didn't accommodate your thing, just kind of keep it to yourself. And, you know, if you want to complain about it, you know, that's what friends are for. That's what texts are for. You know, when I get triggered or I get upset about something, sometimes I text you, Jessica, or I text another friend or call your mom because you're, nobody cares more than your own mom. Unfortunately, my mom has passed on. So that's why sometimes when I get triggered or upset, Jessica, I text you or I text, you know, another friend here, Amanda or someone else on the network or somebody else who's a friend. But you don't need to go, especially if you're a public person, venting it in a public place and whining and complaining about your thing because everybody's got a thing. And you're not a victim just because you have a thing because everybody's got a thing. And I'm just so tired of everybody broadcasting their thing as if they're the only person that has a thing because everybody has a thing and not everybody needs to broadcast their thing and i guess that just made up my doctor's orders for tonight and we didn't even need a stinger for that how about that jessica absolutely <laughs> and you know what's interesting dr gina is the first thing i do if i was to feel unsafe is i exit a location to get safe um i believe lovato <laughs> and whoever she was with still ordered ice cream so it couldn't be that triggering or it couldn't have been she couldn't have felt that unsafe. It's just really silly these words people use. It's very dramatic and it's sad because when people do have real issues, society doesn't take them seriously because it's like the boy who cried, cried wolf too many times. Well, and when it comes right down to it, I'll, I'll do love for Demi and I have some special compassion for Demi for a whole different series of reasons. A very close friend of someone in her family. But I, I just wanna say this, do you really need ice cream? Do you really need ice cream? I mean, it's a question. You know, it's not like, um, you know, you go into a hospital and they can't accommodate your need. That's a, that's a need. Need is different from want. Ice cream is not a need. So if you go into an ice cream store and you get triggered, that's not a need. We need to start distinguishing between wants and needs, between feelings and needs, between thoughts and feelings. There are just a whole lot of things that we've gotten really uh, confused about that have become so convoluted in our society, Jessica, that I think that we have uh, lost a little bit of touch with reality. And we just need to do a little bit more thinking about other people and not so much thinking about our own little myopic, narcissistic vision of the world. I, that's just my thought. And I'm, not, I'm really not putting this on Demi, like I said. I have a special compassion for her, despite that we don't agree on politics at all, because I, I really do have a very special compassion for her because I have a, a very good friend in her family. But I am saying that I, and because she's, you know, she's young and she's learning and all these things, and I hate to, for anyone to judge me based on what I did at that age and in that maybe stage of my life. And certainly if I were, you know, in her predic particular predicament, she's gone through a lot with drugs and all that. But my point is, 
that I think we need to start thinking a little bit outside ourselves and uh, to start considering that things like ice cream are not emergent and that uh, things like ice cream are not a need and that there are other people that do have real emergencies in their life that aren't ice cream. <laughs> so absolutely. I would have to agree with you, Dr. Gina. Absolutely. You said it perfectly. Well, Jessica, thank you so much for coming on the show and always bringing us something so enlightening. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Dr. Gina. It's time for our Good Guy with a Gun segment. And here to help our West Coast correspondent, Amanda Head. Amanda, always great to have you on the show. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. And Amanda, all right, this story comes to us from Indianapolis, where last week they saw a horrific shooting at the FedEx facility in Indianapolis Airport, where eight innocent, unarmed people were gunned down in cold blood. But over the weekend in Indianapolis, a man tried to shoplift at Walmart, and when a security guard stopped him, the thief pulled a gun on the security guard. Tell us what happened next. Yes, yeah, so this took place in an area of Indianapolis called Beach Grove. Uh, despite the fact that it's in the middle of the country, it sounds like a sunny, beachy town. Uh, but it is in Indianapolis, and the security guard was actually an off-duty park ranger. And as you said, a man tried to shoplift. When he was stopped, because of that shoplifting, he pulled a gun on this park ranger. Now, the park ranger had called for backup and backup was on the way because a gun obviously escalates the situation, but a pistol permit carrying Good Samaritan uh, chased off the guy, fired after him, and this criminal was out in the parking lot where he was tackled and arrested. So another good situation where you've got a good guy, a law-abiding citizen, with a gun um, averting what could be potentially a disastrous situation because Walmarts, as you know, are very crowded and uh, this could have been deadly. So it's a good story. And Amanda, while we have you here, I want to ask you about some left coast news. San Francisco has a huge pot smoking festival every year at a place called Hippie Hill, but the government has put up barricades to keep people out. They built a wall and they said it was to protect people from COVID. Amanda, this is so ironic, just on so many levels. I'm just gonna let you have it. <laughs> yes, so it, it takes place every year, as you said, on Hippie Hill, which is within Robin Williams Meadow. It is a, an area of San Francisco that was dedicated to the late Robin Williams, um, which I think is a lovely sentiment. But this is a, an annual event on 420 where pot lovers all over San Francisco and the region go to celebrate their love for the green stuff. Um, my question is, is you know, e even though this is canceled, I feel like folks are still going to find their own ways to celebrate. They won't be in a large gathering. That's why San Francisco shut this down because they were worried that it would be a large gathering, so they fenced it off. But I think you're gonna have a lot of uh, incensed pot smokers. Um, but here's the thing. San Francisco, you've obviously got a lot of liberals. I think that for a lot of these, these hippies, these pot smokers, there's some cognitive dissonance happening because for people who are liberal, oftentimes they are uh, psychologically rigid about wearing masks. So how do you smoke pot 
through a mask. Now you and I both know that especially with these flimsy little masks that people are required to wear in stores very often are so thin. I mean, you can smell someone's perfume who's five feet away, which to a, a reasonable person would indicate that the masks don't prevent COVID. Um, but maybe they're just going to buy some really flimsy masks and they're going to um, what's the term, shotgun each other uh, through their masks. Just blow their smoke. You know, one person has to take one for the team and smoke the joint or the bowl or whatever the vehicle is to get the pot into their system. And then they'll just shotgun everybody else. Because of course those masks, even though they let pot smoke through, it's definitely gonna protect you against COVID. Yeah, well, whatever symbolism over substance that the little uh, fantasy folks need there in, California, I guess uh, we'll just let them have. You know, when I lived there, Amanda, I, I can tell you that the smell of pot was so prolific outside of my house that literally I lived right on the beach. And I can tell you that it was, you know, so it was close houses altogether. And there was not a time that you did not just smell the constant wafting. And, and, and so when I go back, it is literally a comfortable smell for me. When I smell pot, it is a comforting <laughs> smell for me because it smells like home in California. And so uh, to those who celebrate 420, uh, there you have it. Today, by the way, is 420. To those who don't know what the heck we're talking about, yeah. I could have introed that piece a little better. Yeah. April 20th is 420, which is, I guess it's pot day for some reason. And I don't even yeah. really know why. Do you know why? I, I think because 420 historically used to be a police code for pot possession, but don't quote me on oh. that. Um, but your, okay. your reaction when you smell pot, I, I guess that's what they call a psychosomatic reaction uh, to you know something that you feel within your five senses. Um, when I first moved to California, this is how naive I was to that because pot wasn't really a thing at, in, in my group of friends at Auburn. Um, I. When I, when I first moved here, I would smell this, and I thought that it was a skunk because it's very often very skunky, which I'm also told. <laughs> I'm also told that that's a sign of good pot, is that it smells even skunkier. I don't know if that's even still the case, but yeah, well, the skunkier me, the better, Yeah, apparently. my kids used to make fun of me for that, too, that I thought it was a skunk when I first moved there, but I, I learned quickly, or slowly, but anyway, I learned. Well, anyway, Amanda, yeah. thank you so much for all of that enlightenment, and, uh, and you have a good uh, time there now, and I'm sorry that you can't go uh, to the celebration, but uh, I know you'll survive. Thanks for being with us. Darn. <laughs> thank you, Dr. Gina. Oh, wait, no, Amanda, come back. Come, come back. Can we get her back? <laughs> I just blew that. It's time for a meme of the day. I didn't know I got to keep you for this. Sorry. It must be all that stuff wafting through. Here we go. <laughs> all right. This sign in this picture asks uh, Biden voters to please put their Biden signs back up so illegal immigrants can know where to stop to find a place to stay and get food and water. Now, Amanda, this is actually the way that memes used to work way back in the old days before social media. You actually had to make a sign and hang it on your property and wait for people to drive by and see it. I guess take a picture. I'm going to let you react to this. Yeah, this is going to work, I think, all across America. But I would, I would tailor it a little for California. 
because we've got a major homelessness situation here on top of illegal immigrants and you might have heard that that they are considering putting homelessness housing in Pacific Palisades and a lot of those rich folks in Pacific Palisades aren't too keen on the idea um, so I think they should tailor this for California and say that they should put their Biden sign back up in their yard to show that they are amenable to the idea of housing homelessness uh, folks because obviously you know you vote Democrat policies we've had a super majority here for a very long time and Democrat policies I mean you can really just tie the two right together with homelessness, illegal aliens, and voting Democrat. Yeah, and I think they should just open their doors and just, since they don't believe in a border wall, just open their doors and just yeah. let the illegals come live with them. And then we'll and they shouldn't have guns at home to protect themselves. True. And then we'll believe that they are truly in favor of open borders. If mm -hmm. they leave their own border, their front door open and let the illegal Such illegals come and live with them. Yeah, and then it makes them not hypocrites, and then I'll believe them. So all of you Californians out there uh, on the border who believe in open borders, um, if you do this and you invite the illegals and the homeless to come live with you and you decide to leave your doors open and give up your guns, um, you go ahead and you let us know your names and we will make you honest liberals. We will put you on the list of honest liberals. There we go. I think that's Thank an oxymoron. Thank you so much, Amanda Head. Well, no, not if they do all that. Give up their guns, <laughs> invite them in, and leave their doors open. Then they're honest liberals. Thank you, Amanda, for being with us tonight. And thanks to all of you out there for joining us tonight. And thanks to everyone here at your new home for Real News, RAV-TV, Real America's Voice. Live from Studio 6B is up next with Damon and the crew. Hug your children, love your God, go boldly now, and live the truth.